Welcome to our Franchise Fundamentals. This is a series of exclusive, no-holds-barred interviews uh, have a franchise simply where we speak with franchisors and learn the nitty-gritty of what's made them successful and how they avoided the traps that many new franchisors unwittingly fall for. Today I'm fortunate to have secured some time from Tim Wise. Tim is the founder of Tap Doctor, a very successful franchise group that grew to be the largest plumbing franchise in Australia. He's also a successful, I'd describe him as a successful serial business owner and investor. So, Tim, welcome today. Thank you, Brian. Um, what, what I'd like to do is to really pick your brains on a bit of your background and your knowledge so that we can share this with, with our prospective franchisors and existing franchisors, or I think we'll all find something to gain. Um, tell me, what got you started in franchising, and, and what was your background before that, briefly? Well, uh, back in about, uh, I think it was back in 2000, I read a book uh, called The E-Myth. And, um, and a lot of people have read The E-Myth, but The E-Myth famously said, work on your business, not in it. And The E-Myth stood for the entrepreneurial myth, meaning that many entrepreneurs, uh, which I was one, uh, had an entrepreneurial seizure, or many technicians would have an entrepreneurial seizure and end up trying to become entrepreneurs. So that you became a technician. If you were a plumber, you tried to do create a business that did plumbing work. Well, I was never a plumber, but I was an entrepreneur, and I identified a plumber, and his name was Archie Gubbins, and he was this silicon-clad guy, you know, working, putting stuff in cash in his bread bin, driving these little black cars with taps on the roofs, uh, around all the suburbs of Perth, blowing up engines, had no systems, would travel from, uh, you know, just there was just no efficiency in what he was doing. And I had read this book, and at the time I had a business called Listen Clothing, and I'd started to what I call proprietize that business. And I'd given it certain colors, we'd worked on the logo, we gave it a look and a feel, but it was limited in what we could do to actually turn it into a bona fide franchise. So... When I came across Archie, uh, I thought this would be an ideal business to franchise. I'd never really seen a plumbing business that had been franchised before, except some examples that I'd, I'd read about in the USA. I think it was one called Delmar Plumbing or something like that. And they had these bright yellow vans. And their vans, the color of the yellow was actually patented, <laughs> believe it or mm -hmm. not. I didn't realize you could patent a color, but I later learned a lot about patents and trademarks. Um, and uh, I decided this was a fantastic business to franchise. It was very identifiable with these taps on the roofs, and you know, uh, I could see a lot of room for improvement. So uh, we went out and uh, took that business, and we started to systemize and capture the things that were being done well and change up and make more efficient the things that were not being done so well. We developed a database. We started capturing all the calls that were coming in, uh, we were able to um, break up the different areas in territories and bit by bit we built a franchise-like business. We didn't have any franchisees yet. And then I came across uh, an old friend of my brother's who had just finished his apprenticeship and I actually remember we were down at the pub and uh, I was there and, and I just bumped into him. I said, Coxie, what are you up to? He said, oh, you know, I've just finished my apprenticeship. I'm at a bit of a loose end and you know, I don't really know. And I said, well, you know, we've got this idea. It's called the Tap Doctor. This is how it works. Would you be interested in, in buying a franchise? And, 
because he was the first cab off the rack and it was a, we, it was a bit experimental back then, it was, we sold at a very modest price. And he came on board and, yeah, just loved it. And uh, he, I think today he owns sort of six or seven vans. So, um, and uh, just grew from there. But the, 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 the decision to franchise was based on needing the capital to grow uh, and also needing to have people who had a vested interest in their business. So they had to actually own their business to care enough about it. We, we just observed that a lot of people in, in plumbing offered crappy service because it wasn't their business. They didn't really care. They were getting a paycheck every week, and so the customer lost out. So we really decided philosophically that if we were going to be successful as a company, we needed people that cared about what they did, and franchising offered the solution to that. Right, so one of the classic motivators, really, for people to franchise. So you, you had no background in franchising, I believe. So how did you go about the franchising process? You were already systemizing your business, so you were preparing it. But how did you actually go about the franchising process itself? Yeah, um, well, we, we, there were some books. I think you might have even been involved in that, Brian, putting together the, the, uh, some of the manuals that, that guided us in how to do that back in the day. And I think there was, uh, the New Zealand Australian franchising. What was it called? You probably can tell me. I can't remember, but it was, uh, some strange acronym. And, um, it covered New Zealand and Australian franchising and there were some manuals. And so we worked off those manuals, but it was a very slow, arduous process doing it that way. I also had some mentors who had other franchising businesses and I called on their expertise. In fact, I can remember just before we decided to franchise, I had a mate called Kelly Ritchie who had a company called Hosemasters and I was in the car park of our offices and I really was right on the edge of, and, and I was, I was scared about the prospect of franchising and I just had to kind of, I literally just remember crossing that line and making the decision after probably a couple of weeks at least of procrastination and you know, wondering about the what ifs and, and, and really because to me it was a responsibility that I had to take very seriously because all of a sudden we were going to be in, in partnership with dozens of, uh, of, of other businesses. So, um, and we we're also making representations to those people about what they might be able to earn, etc. So I took that very seriously. And once we crossed that line, I'm not saying we never looked back because there were obviously lots of challenging times on the journey. But um, it was, uh, you know, it, the decision was made and, and our direction was set. So at least we had that and that, that made things um, simpler in a way uh, because we, we, we actually knew where we were going and then we could set out about how to do it. But in, in answer to your question, mentors and manuals and consultants like yourself uh, all played a part in the process. Bit of a mixture. So I'm interested with one thing there. What was the tipping point? You said you know you were you were sort of you know stressing for a period of time about the responsibility and the step that you're going to take into franchising. What was it that tipped you over the over the edge to make the commitment to say, "Yep, we're going to do it." Uh, I just couldn't find another way that made any sense. You know, as I said before, we needed it. We needed a business model where um, the technicians were um, had to take responsibility for their actions, and that if they didn't do it properly, then they would suffer as a result of that. I mean, that was that was vital because we were all about customer service, and our tagline back then and still is today 
uh, you'll be delighted or it's free. And that was something that, that was a tagline that I came up with, which was based on a course that I attended, which stated the importance of having a unique selling proposition. And I thought, well, what is it? You know, what do people want? They want something. They want to be, you know, they want that certainty that this is going to be a good experience. And so that's what we, what we tried to communicate. But the tipping point was, Look, it was just, yeah, it was, it was that. It was, um, it was also that, that provided the capital for us to grow. We didn't have access to other capital. I mean, you know, even still today, businesses are, uh, banks are, um, very shy about lending to small business that if you don't put up some security of, you know, like a house of some sort, so tick that box. Um, it also allowed us to really, um, to, uh, the other thing, the other really important thing, Brian, is was that uh, we wanted a business that we could on-sell. I mean, we looked at all the other plumbing businesses out there and we noticed that they were all people's names and, you know, it was basically a based on a technician um, and they were unsaleable businesses. So we wanted a business that we could actually say, this is the tap doctor, it has intrinsic value in the brand um, and the systems and the procedures and therefore we'll be able to sell it at a large sum of money down the track. That was that was the exit strategy. So for all those reasons, we chose franchising. That's a, that's a great observation because so many service businesses, plumbers, electricians, whatever you look at through the whole area, it's Mr. and Mrs. Jones, carpet cleaners, plumbers, whatever it might be. Yeah. And there may even be second or third generation sometimes, but uh, that's, an, that's, a, that's, a, that's an interesting point. You mentioned that, you know, that once you made that decision, you really got on with it. But what what were some of the early challenges you faced in 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 overcoming those uh, those the earlier the er, earlier hurdles? Yeah, I guess the early things were really identifying what worked. I remember you know marketing, as you mentioned, marketing uh, marketing was marketing was always we were very much guerrilla marketers. Uh, we used to get, you know, I don't remember the, whether you remember the old roster signs that the service stations used to put out. Well, we used that principle for our marketing where every holiday, so if there was Anzac Day, we'd do up an Anzac Day A-frame and put them on, on tyres and distribute, you know, 20 or 30 of them around um, the streets until the councils uh, got upset and put them in the back of their trailer. We had to retrieve them or pay a big fine. But back in those days, I'm talking sort of, you know, um, sort of 15 years ago now, is that we used to uh, use a lot of guerrilla strategies, but they didn't always work, you know. Sometimes the, the phone would ring and other times it wouldn't. So just working out that marketing piece was the real challenge because, we wanted our technicians to be out there fixing taps and, and doing plumbing work. We didn't want them to be worried about the phone ringing. But obviously they put a lot of pressure on us to make the phones ring. We felt that pressure and that was probably the biggest challenge that we faced was just filling that funnel. Eventually um, that started to flow and, and but there were times there where, you know, when the phone wouldn't ring, uh, that that was probably our biggest challenge to figure out the marketing piece and how to get the phone to ring. Yep, absolutely. Um, now, your business grew to be you know, the largest in the country. Was that always your objective? What was your, what was your starting point? What were your plans? Uh, I don't know that we ever really thought about it. I mean, we knew our business had potential. We were based in Western Australia, which was a long, long way from the East Coast. Um, 
and uh, yeah, we just we just went about doing what we were doing. I had some very good partners. Um, the guys that own the business now, um, a guy called Phil Hargrave, and uh, he really uh, took the bull by the horns and, and did a great job in growing the business um, and taking it into state. He, he actually moved to Victoria um, and sat there for ages, you know, um, and just building the business, being very tenacious, uh, working it and working it. But we always found that actually growing the business to another state was like almost going to another country. And I think that's something that, you know, the listeners probably should be aware of is that just because you're in Australia doesn't mean that you're going to experience the same conditions as where you started your franchise. And there's a lot of different intricacies around that. Um, so no, it wasn't our objective to, to grow the business to that point. I think, I think once, um, Phil Hargrave took over the reins, he was, he was definitely had a, had a vision to sell a certain amount of franchises and, uh, yeah, he, he definitely probably had a vision which was to make the tap doctor the biggest, uh, you know, the biggest, um, franchising plumbing maintenance group in Australia. Well, he certainly achieved that successfully. So, um, that's interesting. You had partners in the business, so that that aided you in in him being able to move to Victoria to actually set it up himself. So you didn't take the risk of finding someone to pick up the running in Victoria and let them grow the Victorian side of the business. Yeah, actually, we did do that. We had someone in South Australia initially, and they they were ticking along. They had an existing plumbing business, but saw the saw the tap doctor as a great add-on to that. Okay. And um, so they, yeah, they they tapped that on, I and mean, they they were growing very slowly. And I don't know where that's at at the moment. But um, then, but then, yeah, Phil went to to Victoria. You know, he's very dogged, very tenacious in in building that territory. Um, and uh, yeah, we recognised that if we wanted to grow, we had to we had to go into state. Phil, I think, was originally from that part of the world and was happy to go back there. And um, yeah, and and. Uh, we subsequently did find some masters in other territories. Some of those were good experiences and some of them were not so good. But, you know, that was definitely a steep learning curve at the time. Mm, okay. So get, t- taking you back to where you were at when you first saw Archie Govins, I think you said, the plumber with his taps on the van and what looked like a good idea. From your point of view, getting involved and getting the tap doctor started, what did franchising achieve for you as a business owner beyond the obvious points you've mentioned so far? Um, I guess it, all those things that I've mentioned, you know, it, it provided capital to grow the business. It uh, it meant that we had to focus on um, systems and procedures. Uh, we had to focus on marketing. Uh, if we didn't have work, we were under enormous amount of pressure from our from our franchisees. So. I think the franchising model forces you forces excellence in business uh, at every level. I mean, I even say to some businesses that I consult to, even if you're not a franchisee, even if you don't want to franchise your business, you still should employ franchising uh, principles and systems. Uh, you should give your business a strong look and feel. You should have a procedures manual. You know, you should have a database that you know is, can act as a CRM and. And, uh, you know, in every way you should be looking to make your business more efficient and, and systemized. So I think these principles go across business in general and, and, you know, franchising basically drives 
excellence in business, I believe. Mm, I certainly concur with that. Um, so, subsequently, you, you, well, you're no longer involved in the business. Um, I, I don't want to breach on any confidential area, but uh, you, you obviously sold out at some stage. How did you achieve that, and how did you find that side of it from your point of view? Yeah, I mean, from I was a serial entrepreneur. I still am. And so, you know, I was looking to the next thing. So I had, I'm, I sort of, I've done a lot with the, with the tap doctor to, you know, contribute to its success. And now the business had become, and I think this is something that, you know, listeners need to be aware of is what is your personality type? Are you the sort of person that's prepared to sit in a business and, you know, work the ins and outs of it all day long? Or are you more of an entrepreneurial quick start style where you like to get things up and going and then get out of there? Well, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm the latter of those two personalities. So I was looking to the next thing. I was looking towards uh, an opportunity which uh, came knocking on my door to, um, to list a company on the ASX. Uh, it was actually in the insurance business at the time. And, you know, the company listed at a market cap of $50 million with, um, at that time, it had no revenue, so it was, you know, it was at the height of the dot-com boom. It was an exciting time. So, yeah, a lot of people say, well, how does that work? And, yeah, it's an interesting question, but it, that's the way, you know, financial markets can be sometimes. They usually come back to reflect a more realistic valuation, but that was what happened back then. Okay. So I was, uh, I got involved there and, uh, and so I was looking for an exit and the, um, the existing partners, the other partners in the business agreed to buy me out. Okay, excellent. So that was convenient. So you'd, you'd, you sort of created your exit strategy wittingly or unwittingly within the way your business was structured with your business partners. Hmm. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, I think the point out, the takeaway out of this is probably that, you know, franchising requires an enormous amount of commitment. If you're, you know, if you want to, you've just got to be very clear about what your role is in the business. So for me, my role in the business was to start it up, get it going, identify that there was a franchise opportunity, get some franchise going. Then it was over to other people who, um, uh, who were better at at doing the the day in day out type stuff, and so and the other thing I would say about that is when you are in partnership with people who are doing the day in day out stuff, and you're in a private business like that, and it's a small business, it's a bit like the psychological model you shared with before, Brian, or the, the psychological model that you've shared with me before, which is about how certain um, uh, personality traits come out. So. Typically, if someone's working in the business, they can become a little bit resentful of someone who's off doing other things. And that was me. I was, I was the guy off doing other things. Mm. So there was, you know, there was a bit of friction there. Um, and yeah, understandably, because, uh, you know, the other partners in the business were working extremely hard. And, um, and in their minds, you know, uh, whilst I wasn't getting paid anything, you know, because I was just a shareholder at that stage, uh, you know, they, they, uh, we just negotiated that it was best for me to, to move on and for them to continue on with the business. Mm, that's often the same as well. And and that's where, I think, from my experience, people going into franchising with their business um, don't appreciate these different skill sets. And obviously you were you were very conscious of your your sort of your 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 cycle your time cycle. You know, every three or four years, whatever it is, you're ready to move. So you need to do that, otherwise you'll start yeah, to you know, and the business would, would reflect that, wouldn't it? 
Well, that's right, but it's you know, I, I'm sure a lot of your listeners would would appreciate it's not easy because it's your baby. You know, you've grown mm. this thing, you've you know, you've you've spent hours and you know, you've you've put in way more time than what you've been paid for. You know, because that's just the way it seems to work. So, you know, I'm not um, I'm not going to pretend for a minute that that was easy, but you know, in hindsight. Uh, it was the it was the right decision for me. It was the right decision for the business. Yeah. Okay. Well, you should share some great stuff there for us. There's some real gems there that I think everyone should probably focus on. I hope they've been writing in their notebooks and highlighting them. But you always listen to this again. But just to just to recap something quickly. Very interesting the way that's evolved. What would you do differently if you were to go through this process again today? Well, I think just, uh, I think in general, and I'm involved in, in a couple of businesses at the moment that have the potential to, to franchise, and I think it's just a matter of being everyone being very uh, honest about what their strengths are and what they are passionate about. You know, if you're passionate about working in a business, you know, 16 hours a day and doing the organisation or doing the the day in day out part of the business, then you know you then that's great. You should you should uh, have roles and responsibilities that are in alignment with that. So really, it's about it's it's about self awareness. You know, knowing thyself and uh, and and building roles and responsibilities that are in alignment with that. Yeah, I'd, I'd certainly acknowledge that. It's something that's very apparent where people don't fit. Have they got? What's their driving motivation? What's their real underlying why? What's the reason they're doing it? And if there isn't a connection, then inevitably there's going to be a li little bit of a, of, a, of a traffic accident somewhere down the track. All right. Okay, well, I, I really appreciate your, your frankness on that, and there's some interesting points. So um, before I do a, a bit of a summary at the end, what, what advice would you have if I was to say to you, business owners looking at franchising today, what would you recommend to them with regards to franchising? Mm. I think the first thing is just realise that it's it's really hard work. Like you've got to be super committed to make it work, and uh, and and therefore you have to be super passionate about what you're doing. So if you haven't got a passion for what you're doing, I would look for some other opportunity. So that's the first thing. Um, secondly, is that be self-aware, be really honest with yourself about what your strengths are and, and where you need help. So if you're not the sort of person that's good at detail and crossing the T's and dotting the I's, then engage you know, someone like yourself, Brian, to, to do that for you and make sure that you've got those things. Because, you know, when things go wrong in franchising, um, you know, it's been borne out very publicly with uh, what happened with Pieface, and you see it in the media a fair bit these days, and particularly in the States you see it a lot, is you know when things go wrong in franchising, you know it can be a very um, it can be very challenging and very draining uh, psychologically, mentally, spiritually at every level. So it's very important to cross the T's and dot the I's, um, which you know we did quite well in the tap doctor. That was not an issue. Um, and yeah, otherwise you know just if you're passionate and you and you and you and you've got an, an idea where. Both people can make money, both a franchisee and franchisor. I think that's very important. If only one side is making money, that's kind of a recipe for disaster. So those are probably three things that I would focus on and, and make sure that the boxes were ticked around that, those three things as a starter. Excellent. 
All right. Well, I've I've in, I've learned quite a few things today, and certainly enjoyed hearing your 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 story of your journey through franchising. And uh, I suppose the key points were were really in the early days. You just kept refining and systemizing and improving and seeing what worked. And I like the fact you're obviously really throwing yourselves into it with your guerrilla marketing. You know, just see what see what works, see what doesn't, dispense with it, move on, etc. And uh, the challenge you met filling your customer funnel, because even though you obviously had several heads there putting it together, you still got to drive that that revenue, get that work coming in, and uh, that's something everyone needs to acknowledge. It's not going to necessarily just happen. Um, so, uh, and the other point I take particularly, and um, that you referred to a couple of times, was making sure there's there's clarity of the roles of anyone in the business, whether they are partners in the franchise or whether they're employees. Or franchisees, you know, just just understanding what people's life expectancy is in that business system because uh, it varies. And if you don't know what someone's plans for the future are, you could be caught short. So um, that's great. Tell me, I appreciate you're not active in the franchise area, but is is there any, if anyone wanted to get in touch with you, are you accessible at all, or how could someone? Yeah, for sure. Home? Yeah, well, uh, they can contact me through my website, uh, tim at timwise.com.au. Um, so that's tim at, tim at timwise.com.au or, um, they can, uh, people can call me on 0413 That's 0413 Excellent. Well, Tim, thank you very much indeed. I've, I've added as always in these discussions, more knowledge to that that I've got. So it's great to accumulate more, and I'm sure the listeners will, have, will will share with me in saying thank you very much indeed. Really appreciate you making the time available, and um, uh, good all, all the best with your future businesses that you've got that you're working on in the background. <laughs> thank you, Brian. It's always a pleasure. Welcome to the Franchise Brand.